I'm Stephen Strang, and welcome to the special edition of the Strang Report, live on Thursday, uh, June 29th, 2023. Of course, it'll be online for a long time, and today we're going to talk about a very dangerous trend in the church, and I'm going to be talking to Lucas Miles, who is the author of this book called Woke Jesus. Now, all of us didn't even know what woke meant a couple of years ago, and now it seems like many of the institutions in our country, many of the big uh, corporations are going woke. What's happening is that there are people in the church that are also going woke, and Lucas Miles has written about this before. I've interviewed him on my podcast before. You can always check that out. Uh, and th we're going to talk now about this book, Woke Jesus. So welcome to my podcast. Thank you for taking time to talk to me. And uh, maybe I should start by asking you what it was that happened that was so important that you felt you should put all the time and effort to write a major book like this, Woke Jesus. Yeah, so first off, Stephen, thanks for having me on the program. Always good to be with you. Um, you know, my last book, The Christian Left, it, it did well. I traveled around the country, you know, speaking and sharing about it. And I was just amazed as I traveled of the number of people that said, I wish my pastor would talk about these things, or I can't find a church that addresses this. Or even worse than that, hearing people saying, you know, I've been attending a church, but they've been, you know, they've gone woke on this issue or that issue. And what I was finding is that although people were aware that this was happening, they didn't really understand the history behind it. They didn't understand how we got here. And I think that there's still some people out there that just didn't understand the nuances well enough within woke thought um, that, uh, that they could actually easily identify it. And so I wanted to set out to write this definitive work on uh, understanding wokeism in the church, its history, the, the implications, the, uh, and ultimately what we can do about as Christians to really overcome it. And, and that's, that's uh, uh, kind of how the origin story, I guess, if you will, of this book, Woke Jesus. Well, I think you're right to say it's definitive. In fact, uh, somebody needs to put on their thinking cap to dive into it. And I remember that you even advised the reader, if they wanted to, they could skip the first few chapters in which you're going into all this uh, history of the Christian church and all these different movements and Gnosticism and all this kind of stuff. And you're right, most people don't know about that. First of all, it's not taught in public school or in universities. You almost have to go to a seminary or a Bible college to even hear some of that history. And of course, there have been other movements uh, throughout history. There has been error that church leaders have had to speak up about. And I admire you for doing this because you're right. Most Christian leaders are silent, and I know in my own circles, as I've talked about this privately, the reaction I get is, you know, this is awful, but it doesn't apply to me, it doesn't apply to my church, it doesn't yeah. apply to my denomination, and these other denominations are hopeless anyway, and they're woke, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and they don't really realize what's happening in the body of Christ, because we're all you know, if we've accepted Jesus, if we believe the Word of God, we're part of the body of Christ. And, um, you know, I like the title or the subtitle, The, the False Messiah Destroying uh, Christianity, and your PR release says that you believe that today's Christian left uh, to them, Jesus is only useful to the degree that his, be his behavior aligns with liberal morals that support a progressive idea of race, gender, and sexuality. I want you to 
unpack this because for some who are watching, this is going to be their only exposure to it. I hope the yeah. people will buy the book and read it. It's worth reading. I'm reading it myself and I have learned so much and I'm, I'd like to consider that I'm much more informed than the average Christian, of course, uh, partly because of my work and partly because I've been following this for years. So let's just kind of unpack it and help the average person understand what is really at stake. And before the podcast is over, even some things that average people can do to stand up against this, because I believe that the saying that says you um, get the behavior you tolerate uh, is true. And in the church, if we tolerate this kind of thing, we're going to get it more and more. This is the trend in our culture to go more and more left. And really, the Christian church, in my opinion, is the only one who can really stand up against this. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate the opportunity to dive deeper into these topics and, and really appreciate that great, uh, you know, kind of introduction and, and in many ways summary of, of the work. I mean, look, this is, I know it's an extensive book. It's, it's, uh, it's over 200 pages. It's got 500 footnotes or references. Uh, there's a lot that went into this. And I, you know, there was a temptation as a writer, as I was putting this together to go, do I want to kind of, you know, maybe uh, um, lower the, um, uh, the, the entry point to this material to make it easier for everybody to consume? And in uh, looking at that, you know, there was a real, you know, just strong sense in me that, you know, we, this, this is not how we're going to beat this. The only way that we're truly going to defeat this is if we understand the ins and outs of it completely, so much so that the church is able to get to the point to where we no longer are deceived over these issues. Look, heresy has happened in the church before. Uh, there have been false messages, false gospels, false teachers that have risen up. But the unique thing about where we're at today is that, is that heresy is being funded. It's being there. There are dollars being put behind it to purposely divide the church, and this is this Marxist aspect to wokeism. You know, people always you know want a definition to wokeism. At a simple level, it's cultural Marxism. It's just sort of a euphemism for that. Um, but you know, within the church, it's taken on a little bit more you know uh, um, uh, thought and, and different nature to just maybe the traditional understanding of how we view you know Marxism because the religious notions associated with that. And we've reported on this before, and there's an expression they call them useful idiots. Yeah, you know they they really take probably fairly sincere people and use them. In fact, there was even a, a kind of a joke that was called rent an evangelical yeah. where they would back some evangelical uh, nonprofits, you know, smallish ministries that suddenly would get several hundred thousand dollars, which yep. for them was huge. And they would get them to say, well, you know, we ought to, we, we've got to be more sensitive to all this racial stuff and how people feel. And, and then it morphs into the gender stuff and the, and the other things. And, you know, after a while, it's like people are become numb. They become spiritually numb, at least in my opinion. They're, they're not listening to the Holy Spirit. They're not right. reading the Word. They're not understanding the Word. And uh, I just wanted to throw that in because, you know, to think that others consider us useful idiots or the people they're using as useful idiots, I mean, we need to wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah. Yeah, look, you know, one of the ways I've been describing um, kind of this Marxist infusion lately 
is it's very similar. You know, I'm sure a lot of the audience is familiar with this idea of essential oils. You know, you see, you know, somebody wants lavender oil or they want, uh, you know, oregano or something that they want to, you know, utilize for some sort of either, you know, health benefit or, or, or aromatherapy or something. But typically what you would do is you would take this potent oil and you would mix it in with what they call a carrier oil, which might be like a, a benign oil, like coconut oil or something that's very mild. And that's kind of how Marxism operates, is that it is this potent viral oil that infuses itself within some sort of existing carrier structure in order to get distributed, you know, really across, you know, all the aspects of society. And so, you know, within the church, that has happened through the form of liberation theology and black liberation theology, where Marxist thought has been injected into Christianity in the Catholic Church in the case of liberation theology and the black evangelical church in black liberation theology here in America. And, and it's sort of allowed this, this amalgamation of the gospel and Marxist, you know, ideology to, to really morph together. And it's become this sort of theological hitchhiker uh, along this, uh, this faith journey of these certain movements. And it's allowed this Marxist thought to really be, you know, introduced to a lot of unsuspecting people that think what they're getting is a Christian message. But in fact, it's actually this potent sort of viral load that's being, you know, thrown at them, you know, with with this Marxist, you know, uh, uh, undertone that's there. And so uh, in the book, I go back all the way to the 1700s to kind of work my way forward. As you mentioned, the first couple chapters, there's a lot of history there. History buffs are going to love it. Uh, somebody I else it. I'm a history throat. buff. Yeah. But I know what you say. Uh, it's 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 hard reading. But, you know, I admire you for doing that because we're dealing with people, many of whom are intellectuals or in the academic community. Yeah. And if you write at a popular level, they just dismiss you as some kind of ignoramus. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a journalist and journalists are trained in journalism school to write for the eighth grade reading right. level. Right. Um, because most people won't, uh, slog through it, but there is a time and a place because you're really trying to influence the leaders, aren't you, rather than the people in the pews? Yeah, look, I, I think a couple things that you mentioned there. I wanted to put something out that, first of all, that, that the critics had to deal with. They couldn't just dismiss as this is just somebody's opinion or this is just somebody saying wokeism is bad. You know, I wanted to write something that had the references and the substance behind it that it had to be dealt with if you were going to you couldn't easily dismiss it. And I think I've done that. Uh, additionally, I wanted to provide a resource that could be grabbed a hold of by, you know, pastors and church leaders and, and theology professors that that they could go through, that they're going to be more familiar with some of these topics. I did want to give something that the everyday person, I can tell you my church, there's a lot of folks here locally going through the book right now. And uh, the book's number one on Amazon in a couple categories. It's It's been received very well. The reviews are coming in. They've been very positive. And so uh, I think that, uh, you know, look, I, I believe that, that um, you know, people have more in them that we, we do a lot of low-hanging fruit sometimes in our reading and and don't really challenge ourselves. But I think this is a, an approachable book. It's going to push you beyond maybe some of the things that you've read in the past. But I think when you get to the other side of it, it's really going to be affirming of, of just good, solid, orthodox Christian teaching uh, and really help to, you know, dismantle, uh, you know, um, comprehensively uh, this, this woke virus that we're seeing attacking both our culture and the church. I was interested that it's published by HumanX, which is Newsmax. And I know Chris Ruddy, and it is a secular news organization that does tend to be conservative. Yeah. But they were willing to do this. I mean, uh, I'm a Christian publisher, and I couldn't really see any fault of how we would have edited a whole lot different. So I was glad to see that in a way that they're weighing in on that. 
Uh, how did you happen to connect with them? And, um, you know, here you are a pastor in Indiana, and you're successful, and as you said, you travel and so forth, but we don't normally think of a local pastor standing up like this. Yeah. In fact, my experience over the years and uh, is that most local pastors are kind of timid. They want to keep their head down. They don't want to get it shot off. What caused you uh, in your own uh, faith odyssey and your own professional development to take these kinds of issues on? Yeah, so I'm, I'm in South Bend, Indiana, just down the street from the University of Notre Dame. That's where I pastor. And, uh, you know, this is, although we're a red state, super majority, you know, uh, uh, Republican state here in Indiana, we're in a historically blue county. That's, uh, I think this is, they, we've had a Democratic mayor for over 60 years. A lot of people will remember Mayor Pete Buttigieg, our transportation secretary, was once our former mayor. And, and there was, you know, more than one occasion where, or you know, President we were- Biden called him Buttigieg. As I recall, just a few days ago. Yes, I think so. There's probably a few other names that circulate around from him around here too. Um, and uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, we we saw kind of here on on what I feel like in many ways is sort of the front lines of this fight against the Christian left. You know, between the University of Notre Dame, that in many ways is sort of Catholic in name only, as to quote Lou Holtz, uh, and and also you know with just kind of this. Uh, um, this political movement that really, you know, kind of arose out of South Bend with Mayor Pete. Um, you know, Mayor Pete was interesting. He was really the first presidential candidate that I can remember in my history. And we've we've met and interacted on several occasions. And and um, you know, so he might not want to claim to know me, but but we've had some interactions previously. Um, that and I've been warning about some of his ideologies for a long time, probably going back all the way to you know 2013, 2014. And so, uh, but I was seeing the way in which churches here were starting to drift left in our area, and and it, it was just like God just put something in me. You know, I, I don't know any other way, better way to explain it than that. I just saw what was happening, and I just felt like there was a message that my last book, The Christian Left, came out of that. And uh, I've just done a tremendous amount of, 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 of study on this subject, diving in, research, uh, reading all. And I, I'm a source material guy, so I'm going back to I don't want to just read something that somebody modern day wrote about this. I want to go back to the original you know, material the best that I can. So I'm, I'm reading some of the foundational documents of, of critical race theorists. I'm going back and reading Hegel. I'm going back and reading Marx, you know, and these individuals that really helped contribute to where we are today. Uh, because I wanted to be able to, you know, to, to express this in a way that was, uh, um, you know, again, comprehensive and robust enough to really, you know, address it. And so, um, look, I, I'm calling my pastors, you know, to, to join me. Somewhere along the line, pastors have believed the lie that abortion and sexuality and marriage and, you know, uh, um, you know uh, things like, um, you know, even, even socialism or open borders, that these are all, you know, political issues. Uh, they're not political issues. They've been politicized uh, in you know all sorts of ways, but first and foremost, they're theological to start with. And so our politic is downstream from our theology. And so I really believe that pastors should have a mandate. You know, when you look at our constitutional history and the framework of this nation, uh, I don't believe that you know there was ever an attempt to make America a theocracy in the sense that we're trying to force Christianity on people. But Christianity was always the preferred faith here. There was no denominational preference. 
over another here in America, but there was a preference for Christianity in America, but there was free choice. You didn't have to participate in it, uh, but it was certainly that this was a Christian nation. And I think that that, you know, that guiding framework really puts the church in a place to where we get to be the conscience of the state, or I should say we have the, we have the mandate on our lives to be the conscience of the state. And so uh, I've actually launched a website. We have not had a chance to talk about this, Stephen, but it's called AmericanPastorProject.org. And so we have already about 400 pastors that have signed a statement there. It's a, it's a basic signatory statement of biblical orthodoxy and an agreement to stand against wokeism in your local pulpit. So we are seeing pastors from all across this country sign up there. There's a map locator where people can go to see if there's a church near them uh, that is uh, that is in fact made this commitment. Uh, we're adding new churches to the map literally almost every single day. Uh, and we're launching a regular conference call for pastors and church leaders. And the way we define pastor for the purpose of the statement, it's anybody that's touching Christian doctrine. It could be a show host. It could be a curriculum writer for Sunday school material. It could be, you know, some sort of Christian journalist. It could be, you know, somebody who's actually in the pulpit. Uh, so whether they have a digital pulpit, a physical pulpit, or some sort of liter literary pulpit, you know, we are calling anybody that's touching Christian doctrine and content to take a stand against wokeism here in America. Well, then I need to sign that because I would follow into that category, even though I would love I've to never have been— a uh, pastor, and I don't consider myself a theologian. I'm a Christian journalist, but my father and grandfather were both pastors. Um, in fact, from the South Bend area, oh, believe well. it or not. And uh, so I've lived in this world, and I've seen that a lot of pastors need to have permission, uh, in a manner of speaking, to speak up. I've especially seen that in the black community. I've moved widely in the black community. I live in the South, where you know, it's a, a fairly significant black community, and there are a lot of good conservative Bible-believing black pastors that are timid to speak out against yeah. the Democratic Party, for example. But then there'll be uh, Bishop Harry Jackson or different ones that speak up, and it's almost like that gives the other guys permission yeah. to say what they believe. Have you seen any of that happen, especially when you speak up about the the movement toward the left in the church? Are, are, are you seeing any kind of movement at all in the right direction? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm very optimistic about where the church is right now. I mean, look, we could find all sorts of bad examples and people who have gone woke. And, and you know, of course, we see all the stories about denominational splits and we see stories about, you know, the radical churches out there that are, you know, praying to the fairy spirit or something like that in heaven. Uh, but the reality is, I think that there's some people waking up. And I think that that um, uh, in, in many ways, we've had this Gideon moment through COVID and through, you know, the, the kind of BLM uprising, you know, where, where, you know, a lot of those that were never really for, um, they were never really willing to go the distance, you know, with the Lord. Uh, they've essentially been cut away. They've essentially, you know, kind of fallen off. And what has been exposed is, uh, I believe, a strong constituency of faith-filled believers who who are recognizing what is before them, that it's time to speak out, it's time to speak up, it's time to get serious about reaching people. I mean, look, the reality is, I mean, especially here in Pride Month, like there is a level of trauma that is going to be uh, um, uh, entering the church in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years that we've never seen before. Uh, there are so many people's lives who have been deeply impacted, that have gone through abuse, that have been subjected to all sorts of just, you know, heinous acts and disgusting acts. And the church has to be ready to receive these people and minister to them. And I think right now we're not ready for that, uh, you know, holistically. And I think we have a lot of work to do to really prepare ourselves for what comes next whether that be persecution or just a, a, a uh, you know, huge insurgence of, of people that need ministered to. 
And so, um, you know, I, I could say one of the things about the, uh, um, you know, about the black church here in America, I think that, you know, there have been certainly a segment that's been impacted by black liberation theology. And I would really encourage people to pick up this book and go through it. We have to deal, we have to talk about this. We have to sort through true biblical Christianity versus the writings of James Cone. James Cone, one of his famous statements I write in the book was, you know, he said that that throwing a Molotov cocktail into Whitey's storefront is not uh, um, is not the only way to do the will of God, but one has to start someplace. You know, he used to say things like, we have to crucify the white God, the white Jesus. He criticized, you know, any, uh, basically all the current theological structures in that he said that the only thing that matters is black experience when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Uh, this is not a biblical worldview. And the scripture is not about race. Christianity is not about race or skin color. We have to deal with this. And so we have to have these hard conversations. I think we need to have them openly. I think part of the problem is that a lot of times Caucasians uh, have a hard time. They, they feel awkward talking about race because they're not very comfortable with it. And, and I think the best thing we can do is just have open conversations about these things, go to the scriptures, see how they line up, and, uh, and really, you know, sort our way through this. But I believe that there's a huge constituency within the black church in America that is, is sincere, that loves the Lord, that loves the scriptures, that loves the word of God, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I really believe that they're going to do the right thing and that this is going to give them additional boldness, you know, to be able to stand during the season. Well, I hope you're right. And, but I'm hearing some disturbing things, including some uh, what I consider to be strong evangelical ministries who in their seminars, um, even training their staff, will include uh, black leaders talking about things that's really kind of a watered-down critical race theory. You know, we yeah. have to understand all this stuff. We've got to be sensitive. We've got to, and, you know, they, they, there's a certain amount of uh, white guilt, as you know, a lot of people yep. don't really know yep. where it comes from because they think, you know, my ancestors, ancestors weren't even over here before the Civil War, and and I've never dis discriminated against black people, but I don't really understand their pain, et cetera, et cetera. So why don't we talk in the few minutes we have left about critical race theory, because I think that's misunderstood in, in academia. Uh, there's a whole thing about critical theory in different yeah. ways, economic and so forth. But critical race theory seems to be the one that's uh, being talked about the most. Why don't you help us understand basically what it is and why it's wrong? Yeah, this term critical theory in general, like let's talk high level for a second, is used a lot. And I think for some people that just means to you know, to, to, to look at a text or to look at a, a particular uh, discipline or persuasion and, and, you know, really to break it apart, to understand all the components, to think about it in a new way. And if that's what they're meaning by that, I think that, that in many ways that could be beneficial. I can read a text of scripture uh, with a critical mind in the sense that I'm trying to figure out who's it written to, what's the context, who's the authorship here, what's the time period that this was put in. That's different than reading it through a critical theory framework from a Marxist understanding. And that is that I'm seeking to dismantle 
the current understanding of the text in order to kind of have some new meaning arise out of this and use this as a way in which to, you know, uh, uh, bring about liberation in some, you know, you know, seemingly or perceived to be a oppressed group. And, and so this Marxist constituency or this Marxist substructure within critical theory is always about oppressor versus oppressed. And so if we see critical race theory, this is that the, the uh, that you know white a white hegemony a white power structure is oppressing you know people of color opp oppressing blacks. Uh, James Cone brought in you know within black liberation theology he had that white theology was oppressing black experience. We have critical you know queer theory where straightness is oppressing the queer community. We have critical fat theory now where you know the skinniness is oppressing you know people who are obese. And so you know all of these things in some ways they're all the same thing. They're just a different focus on which particular group is going to claim a state of oppression in order to get preference. And if you claim racism long enough, you'll eventually get to the point to where you have all the power because other people are sort of forced to submit out of fear of being deemed you know, racist or bigoted. Uh, when you look at critical race theory, one of the things it does, I think from a Christian standpoint that we have to really understand is it robs the believer of the opportunity to suffer for Christ. If you are promoting critical race theory, what you're saying is that, the, is that all suffering or all injustice in society, all persecution in society is as a result of skin color, uh, socioeconomic status, country of origin, you know, uh, uh, amount of you know, melanin in your skin or something like that. That, that. What this does is it robs from the believer, especially the believer that is a person of color, if we're going to use these kind of arbitrary definitions, which I don't really think I have a whole lot of meaning anyways uh, from a faith standpoint. But if we're going to take on this, this nomenclature, I, I think that it's very important to recognize that this robs God of something that uh, that we're called to give him, and that is obedience in the face of suffering and persecution when we suffer for his namesake. This side of eternity, the only thing that I can give the Lord that I can't give him in eternity is suffering for the sake of Christ, suffering for the gospel. Critical race theory robs this because now the suffering is all about me. It's about my skin color. It's about my sexuality, my you know country of origin, my immigration status, you know my socioeconomic status. And this takes from God the glory that could be given to him in the face of suffering for the name of Christ and the name of Christ alone. Well, we have only five minutes left, and there's so much more that we could dive into. I'm tempted to tell some of my own stories, but we don't have time uh, today. And before it's over, I want you to repeat some of those websites so yeah. that people can write them down, so get a pencil and paper. I also want to encourage people, in case I forget, that they need to forward this uh, podcast to people that you think might be interested. A lot of people will watch something just because you send it to them. We've got to get the word out. We've got to get some kind of groundswell going. And what I want to talk to you or ask your opinion about is what can average people do to uh, push back? Yeah. And we're seeing that when a few uh, brave parents stood up at school board meetings and um, objected to boys going into girls' bathrooms, and in one instance in Virginia, actually raping, you know, a guy pretending to be a girl actually raped some yeah. girls. And, uh, you know, the power structure, I don't even understand how leaders can condone some of this kind of stuff or look the other way or whatever. And it, 
to me, it almost seems like it came out of nowhere. You know, we, we used to not tolerate this kind of behavior at all. So what can an average person do yeah. in their own church, in their own community, in their own family? And I'm, I'm guessing that one of the first things is to understand what's at stake, to understand yeah. the things that are in your book, which people can buy really anywhere books are sold, but especially online. So go yeah. ahead. I yeah. want to give, sort of give you the last word. No, thank you so much. And, and uh, you know, last time I was on your show, Stephen, I, I had so many great emails afterwards and people reaching out to me from the program specifically on this show. So I, I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, you have an incredible audience. The... Uh, so first off, you do. You have to understand these things. The book Woke Jesus can be picked up wherever books are sold, certainly available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, ChristianBooks.com. If you want to get it direct from me, you can go to LucasMiles.org and you can purchase it direct from me as an author. Uh, all of those are, are available. It's available at all of those places. Um, I think the second thing, we have to make sure that we're not attending, supporting, or promoting a woke ministry or a woke church. You know, if you are attending a church that uh, did not celebrate the overturning of Roe, if you're attending a church that made you apologize and repent for the color of your skin, if you're attending a church that has, you know, uh, uh, begun to accept, you know, all sorts of divergent and really affirm divergent, you know, sexualities uh, or, or, you know, kind of bizarre gender definitions, you're in a place that you need to leave. And look, if you've been going there for a time, there might be a, 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 you know, a sense to sit down with the elders and the leaders and have a conversation. And I encourage you to do that. We have a lot of people that are buying a book for their pastor to see where they stand on this issue. Um, but if you want to know really quickly uh, what, what your pastor believes, send him over to AmericanPastorProject.org. And that's AmericanPastorProject.org. And give this to your pastor and say, hey, what do you think about this? Would you be willing to sign this? Or has our church already signed this? Uh, we've gotten coverage on major platforms like Fox News and Newsmax and, the, and, and you know all sorts of places for this website. And pastors are signing this around the country. And so you're going to know very quickly where your pastor stands. If they're, they're going to read this and say, yes, I agree with historic Christianity and I can put my name next to this and I resist wokeism in the pulpit. Or they're going to go, I don't know. That sounds a little bit extreme. That sounds, And that's, those are probably some of your first signs that you're at a woke church. And it might be time to go elsewhere. Uh, you know, some of these bigger issues, what's happening in corporate America, what's happening, you know, in our school systems with wokeism, everything else, uh, you know, we have to keep putting pressure on our elected leaders for this as well. You know, what is happening through corporate America for wokeism? It's really been driven by, you know, ESG, environmental social governance, and this, what's called this corporate equality index. And until this is really addressed, you know, uh, at a governmental level, at a policy level, at a really a law level, uh, I, I think that, that there's little hope for stopping it completely, but the boycotts help. And I think boycotting woke companies and buying from local Christian companies and supporting you know, other people at your church and the businesses they have is a great start in the fight against wokeism. And in a way, leaving a ministry is a type of boycott as far as yes. you're concerned. It's like taking your kids out of crazy schools yes. and putting them into some kind of Christian or private school. We've got to take a stand We've got to put it into the nonsense, and the Lord has called us. The Lord knew that we would be alive now. We are called to be a, take a stand in yep. this generation. I want to remind people that they need to subscribe and to like The Strang Report on YouTube and Rumble and your favorite podcast player. You can sign up for my Strang Report newsletter delivered to your inbox every Tuesday by going to stevestrangbooks.com. I wish we could talk more. In fact... After we're off the air, I have some things to talk to you about, another podcast that I want to Please. do later. Yeah. These issues are so important. I want to just say how proud 
I am and many people are that you have taken the stand. You are very bold, you're articulate. I believe that the Lord raised you up for such a time as this. Thank you for taking time from your very busy travel schedule. We had a lot of trouble scheduling this, but you're here and I really appreciate it and appreciate all you had to say. And I'm enjoying this book and I believe that you will be too. You need to get woke Jesus, it's important. Thank you for watching The Strang Report today on the Charisma Podcast Network. God bless you. In an upside down world, there is only one way to stay grounded. Life is full of twists and turns, successes and setbacks. How can you reach your God-given potential and achieve your dreams? With over four decades of reporting on the move of the Holy Spirit around the world, Stephen E. Strang has firsthand experience of how the Holy Spirit has led him on a remarkable journey of faith and a successful life. In his new book, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World, he will invest his true life lessons into the hearts of readers as he reveals his secrets to having a successful life led by the Holy Spirit. Go to booksbystevestrang.com to pre-order your copy today.